Think of a time when you experienced a conversation that left you with a new perspective or perhaps an inquiry, or you might have felt that something has shifted in you after that conversation. Maybe it helped you gain a new level of clarity or moved you to take action. That was a coaching conversation. Hello and welcome to The Coaching Conversation. This is your host, Salah Alethi, and I'm here with Jeff Gothelf, and I'm really excited to have him with me here today. Uh, Jeff is a coach and facilitator and author. Uh, welcome, Jeff. Thanks very much, Salah. It's great to be here. It's nice to see you again. I hosted you recently on the Agile Nova meetup, and uh, it was a lot of insights that you shared with us, and it has been an amazing story. And that's how I started the podcast usually is like, what's your story? How how did you get where you are today? Absolutely. Yeah. And the uh, so I started um, a little bit later than most folks in the sense that I didn't I didn't start right out of college. I, uh, I tried to be a rock star for a few years. I played in bands, touring around the East Coast of the US, trying to be a rock star for a while. And that was really fun and made no money whatsoever. And those experiences and the people I was in the bands with are still my best friends to this day. But in late 99, I, uh, late 90s in 1999, I, I decided that I was tired of being broke and I needed to make some money. And I had a, I had a you know, a, a predilection for for computers and the internet and that type of thing, which was just becoming a thing. And so I got a job in 1999 as a web designer. And in 1999, you know, if you could spell HTML, you could get a job writing HTML, which is amazing. And so I could do a little bit more than spell it. And I, I was became a web designer. Shortly after that, I moved into information architecture, which in the web 1.0 days was the predecessor to interaction design and user experience design. It's really about the organization and the findability of information. And I like that a lot because it moved me further, moved me closer to the, the decision making when it came to software development. Because at the time, a web designer was literally the last person in the process, right? kind of at the end there. And so I spent the next 10 years following that path, basically becoming a, a better web designer, interaction designer, UX designer, design manager, leader, and so forth. And I find myself about 10 years into my career leading a design team at a high growth startup in New York City. And that team is trying to figure out how to do design successfully in an organization that is starting to use agile software development as its core software development methodology. And in 2008, nobody really knew how to do that. People had tried. There were a couple of ideas out there, but everybody who was trying it was failing fairly miserably, it seemed, at least from what was being published. And so we were lucky enough to tr be able to try a few different ways. And the successes and the failures that we had became the foundation for my first book, Lean UX. And so shortly after publishing Lean UX, I began this uh, kind of transformation of my career moving away from designing products and services to doing training and coaching and speaking and writing primarily about how to do design in an agile software environment. And in the 10 or so years since then, I've expanded that conversation, which is from design and engineering teams to product management, to culture and organizational design and sense and respond. And today what I'm doing is I'm still working as a coach and an, a, as a facilitator and a trainer and an author. The conver I've expanded the conversation even further, taking the same exact concepts that you'll find in Lean UX and Sense and Respond and business agility, digital transformation content, but applying it to your career and your professional development and really thinking of your career as a service or as a product that you're continuously improving and refining and starting to, and I'm starting to learn now how to teach this material and how to coach this material a bit more effectively. And that's what I'm doing today. When I was reading your bio, there is this thing that you put, like it says, I believe humility and learning are in short supply. What 
what do you mean by that? It sounds to me like a couple of ingredients that charter that path of continuous learning and uh, improving. So we have a really interesting dilemma that we're facing sort of as a, as a business world, right? As, as, as people who work professionally in businesses. And it's that there is, there's a, a hundred years worth of material about how to build, manage, and lead manufacturing businesses. And in that world, there is very little humility. The creativity is reserved for the C-suite. The direction comes from the leadership to the teams. They are told what to build and they are measured by the production of the thing they were told to build. Did you build it on time? Did you build it on budget? Did you produce it in enough quantity and low enough cost for us to be profitable? And that makes total sense in a manufacturing context. We live in a very different context today. Most of us don't work in a factory. Most of us don't manage a factory. Most of us work in businesses or manage and lead businesses or coach people who work in businesses that are powered by technology. And technology is continuous. It's not finite. It's not static like it used to be 20 or 25 years ago. And so in that world, the production of the tech, the production of the software or of the product is no longer the measure of success because you can produce that forever. You can continuously improve it. Just to give you a perfect, like just to make this really concrete, when is Netflix done, yeah. right? When is Amazon done? When is Google done, right? They're never done. That, and that's the fundamental difference. Like if BMW is making a car, the BMW is done when it rolls off the assembly line. That's it, it's done, right? Google's never done. Netflix is never done. And so in that world, there's too much change and there's too much uncertainty and there's too much risk. And so the amount of humility that we need to see in our leaders, in our colleagues, in our teams has to increase to match that uncertainty. Because if we come at the kind of problems that digital, digitally driven organizations are facing today with a manufacturing mindset that says, build this and make it look like that and just get it done by Friday and everything will be great, right? We're going to fail in an overwhelming majority of the times, right? And so humility says, look, I think we need to build this and I think it needs to look like this. And if we could get something done by Friday, we could start to learn whether or not that's right or wrong. And if the feedback from the market, from our customers, from our users tells us that that was actually not the best thing to do for our business and for them, then we're going to admit that we are wrong, take that learning and adjust course. And that's what humility is, right? Too many folks, I think, think humility is the abdication of leadership or the abdication of vision. And it's not. It's simply being willing to change your mind in the face of evidence that contradicts your opinion. That's it. So we need more of that to be successful. So I just want to step back and ask what inspired you to write this book, Forever Employable? So the interesting thing about this book is that I, I was seeing, so there's two things that inspired me to do this. One was sensing feedback from my audience. So there are people who, who follow what I do and pay attention. And I've been getting a series of messages almost on a weekly basis for the last few years that are asking questions like, Jeff, how did you get a book deal? How did you, how did you get to speak at that conference? Mm -hmm. um, how, did, how, you know, how did you build your business? That type of thing. And those kinds of questions come in on a regular basis. So to me, that's feedback from the market, right? That's me sensing input, inbound feedback from the market that says people want to know this stuff. And the question for me was, okay, how am I going to answer these questions? What format, what channel? It dawned on me that this could be a book, especially given the fact that I was using product development 
agile techniques to, to build the business and to, to, to grow it and to, to test and learn and validate the ideas that I had for the business. And so it, it kind of dawned on me. This, so, so that was one of the motivations. The other is really seeing the anxiety in many folks' lives when it comes to their career. So many folks panic the second that there's any kind of instability in their organization or in the marketplace or in the world. So merger and acquisition, a layoff, a pandemic, a market shift, whatever it is, people panic, rightfully so. And they rush to update their resumes and then they're immediately panicking. I got to find something else. I got to find something else. I got to find something else. My hope with this book is to alleviate some of that anxiety, to help people understand how a little bit of extra effort in the cracks between what they're doing today can help to begin to generate new ideas, new opportunities that are drawn to them like a magnet. So if you approach this from a systems thinking perspective, right? And I'm no expert on this, but generally speaking, Speaking, right? Job careers, job hunting and, and career progression is generally speaking a push system where you are pushing yourself into the world. You're applying for jobs, you're going to interviews, and all of the power lies with other people. Will they read my resume? Will they invite me for an interview? Will they invite me for a second interview? Will they hire me? Right? That's a lot of anxiety. I want to teach you in the book, right? What I'm trying to do in the book is how to turn that around 180 degrees and create a pull system. In a pull system, you're attracting opportunities to yourself continuously, right? So whatever it is that you're doing, it's always generating opportunities for you, which puts you in control, one, to decide what you're going to pursue and what you're going to move forward with, right? And equally as importantly, to uh, to ensure that no matter what happens, mergers, acquisitions, layoffs, pandemics, et cetera, right? You've always got something in the works, right? There's always something flowing in that will inevitably either offer you alternative employment, alternative revenue streams, or lead to the next thing, right? So you're never caught flat-footed. And it's that career safety net, right? Or that career insurance built on top of your expertise and your experience and your reputation that does that. And so that's what the book really helps teach. So in the company context, it's probably like, you know, we're building a product. We want to focus on who are our target audience? What are their pain points? What are their problems? And what are we going to be focusing on? What features are we going to be building to relieve that pain? Uh, at an individual level, how do you know what to focus on? You're spot on. That's, that, well, that's exactly right. So in, in the same way that we approach product development, and we think about things as assumptions and hypotheses, right? So I have an assumption that my expertise and experience as someone who has helped lead teams, design teams in an agile world, I, I can create content, in this case, a book that people will read, right? And I'll know that I'm right when, when I get a book deal and when people actually buy the book and maybe the book leads to some other opportunities, right? That's a hypothesis. Now, the question then becomes, okay, great, Jeff. Now, how do you test that hypothesis? What are the risks inherent in that hypothesis? How do you design experiments to test those ideas? And that's for folks who, who come from a product development, software product development world, these concepts are familiar. For folks who don't, these are completely foreign concepts. And it takes a little bit of a mindset shift to really apply these ideas to your to yourself, right? So if you think about your core value, right? And not your job title, right? But if you were kind of stripping away your job title and I said, what is that you what, what is it that you actually do? Right. So for, for me, for example, I could say something like I'm a complicated things easy to understand. Right? That's, that's something that I've done kind of throughout my career. That's my core value. That's the service that I provide, right? And so the question is, okay, well, how do I deliver that in new ways? What are some other ways that I can deliver that? And so you have hypotheses about how you might do that. And then you run experiments that say, well, maybe I can share what I do in three minute YouTube clips, right? So I'm going to take a, my phone, point it at my face, record three minute videos and put them on YouTube and see what happens. The goal here is not necessarily 
the creation of the artifact, right? The creation of the, the output, the, the video, the blog post, whatever it is. The goal is the change in behavior of the people who consume that. So A, do people consume it? B, do they share it? Do they reach out to you? Do they, do they tell the internet about it, right? Those are the kinds of behaviors that you're looking for. And by continuing this experiment, this lightweight experimentation process, you can then start to refine what's the best way for me to deliver my content and which content to my target audience so that they consume it, share it, tell their friends and start generating opportunities for me. And so that's that's the focusing mechanism. Now it takes work. It takes hustle. It takes understanding these concepts and really putting it, putting forward some thought around what is the service that I provide and what, what aspect of it do I want to share, right? What kind of, what a unique segment of that expertise do I think will resonate most with the people I'm trying to, to serve? And so this really, I mean, as, as we start to talk about this, right, you start to peel back the layers. This is all product development. So if you, if you start to peel back that layer, we're like, okay, the people I'm trying to serve, well, who's that, right? Well, what's your, who's your persona, right? Who's your target audience persona? For me, when I wrote Forever Employable, it was mid-career knowledge workers. It doesn't mean other people can't get value from it, but that's who I was targeting with my content. And so again, all these product development techniques really help us focus what we talk about, who we talk to, how we deliver that to them, and how we measure our success. I think one thing that you have introduced in other talks is this idea or this tool or technique uh, it's called IK Guy, which is basically this Japanese tool or how to find what you love. And I came across this a while back, but but I think it, it felt a little bit overwhelming. And I know you do it in a very simplified way that resonated. So how do you use this idea? Where do you start? Do you start with what you love? Do you start with what you're good at? Do you start with what the market needs? Yeah. So, so Ikigai is really fascinating. And, and, and sadly, I discovered it after I published the book. Now, the good news is I can always go back and update the book and publish it again soon. But right now, we'll just leave it as is. It took a long time to get here. But nevertheless, so Ikigai, right, as, as you were hinting at, is a, it's a Japanese exercise that is used to help you discover your reason for being. That's what Ikigai means, the reason you get out of bed. And the idea behind it is, well, can you answer a few relative, seemingly simple questions to really find something that you can then build a content platform on top of where you can plant your flag and start to, to create this, this platform, this network, this audience that attracts opportunities to you. Ikigai, as you said, contains four questions. The four questions are, what do you love? What are you good at? What does the world need? And what can you be paid for? And I'm still refining exactly how to teach this and exactly how to run the exercise. And I've discovered some new resources as recently as yesterday about this. But the general point here, the crux of it is answering each one of those questions. What do you love? What are you good at? What does the world need? What can you be paid for? And then looking for answers that ultimately tick all four boxes. And if you can tick all four boxes, it's generally a good place to plant a flag and say, look, this is what I'm going to build my content platform on. Now, if you find yourself in a situation where you have more than one, will we come back to our experimentation? Let's test this. Let's test that. Let's test this one. But ideally, you want to get at least one thing that ticks all four boxes. What do I love? What am I good at? What does the world need? And what can I get paid for? And that can serve as the foundation for your initial attempts to build the, this thought leadership platform that I've been talking about. So you start by finding out what's the, what do you really love to do or what do you enjoy doing? Mm -hmm. um, and then figuring out like, okay, is this, is this what the world needs? You mentioned earlier, you, you wanted to be a musician and then you discovered that, okay, this is, this is not something I can get paid for, or it doesn't fit the, in the, that uh, sweet spot. So is that how, how you run the experiment? You try things, you find out, or is there, is there a faster way to run this experiment? I think, so look, I, experiments should be fast period, right? So that there, there's, if an experiment is 
taking you a long time to execute, then you're spending too much time on it. And, and again, the reason for this is because if you are wrong about this hypothesis or this ikigai, right, you want to find out as quickly as possible that this is not where you should be spending your time. And so the smaller the experiment, the faster you learn, the faster you learn, the less you invest in the idea, it hurts less to let that idea go if you've spent a week on it rather than a month or six months or a year, that type of thing. So first of all, all the experiments should be lightweight. And again, I was hinting at it before, but I mean, experiments can be tweets. Experiments can be LinkedIn posts. They can be 500 word uh, blog posts. They could be two minute video. Maybe it's a podcast. You're a guest on a podcast and you're just going to talk about it. That's an experiment. Anything that gives you an opportunity to share your expertise, maybe you're going to speak at a meetup, right? And then get get some feedback from the audience that tells you, okay, people need this information. They value what I have to bring. They're asking me to do this again, right? These are all the kinds of of types of feedback that you're looking for to tell you that you've done something of value and and Mm -hmm. that you should pursue this further. And so then you continue the experiments, right? But the scope of the next experiment can grow if the last one was successful, right? So you can spend a little bit more on the next experiment, right? Spend a bit more time. Yeah, and that's exactly how I how I started this podcast. I thought, okay, I'm gonna run in this as an experiment for the next 15 episodes and see what happened the next. And and so it's it's becoming relatively easier today to create an experiment, a short experiment, because we have so many different channels that we can use to run the experiment and get feedback quickly. I think that's very clear. What happens when someone is trying to run the experiment is usually this fear of failure. And I saw when I I picked up your uh, book, Forever Employable, and I've been reading it. And one of the things that you, uh, the stories that you tell there is when you started, you were scared and you didn't know how this will pan out. How how were you able to overcome that fear? Was there some sort of ways that you, that helped you overcome the fear of running the experiments? Um, Yeah. I mean, look, this Forever Employable is really interesting, right? Because it's the most personal thing I've ever written. I, um, you know, Lean UX is a design book. and respond is a business book. Lean versus agile versus design thinking is a process book. This is a this is a career book, but it's about it's it's my story that's in mm-hmm. there. It's my personal story. That was terrifying to me. I've never talked about that ever publicly. I talk about my fears and my anxieties, my family, um, you know, my my concerns that I won't be able to provide for them. Now, I know a lot of us face those same anxieties, but mm-hmm. uh, it's not in my nature to talk about that stuff uh, publicly. You know, much less to like really just just throw it out there in a book and and let everybody read it, right? Um, And I was terrified. And what's interesting to me is that well in advance of the publication of the book, I started talking about the book. In fact, one of the big catalysts for getting off my butt and writing the book was there was an organization of executives that had asked me to come in and give a talk. They called, they called, can you give us kind of a talk called The Author's Journey? How you went from, you know, professional to author. And that was the foundation for the book. That was the foundation for telling the story. And when I gave that talk, the parts that resonated the most were the personal parts. And that really made me feel better about it. So that was an experiment, right? So, so to be very, very clear, that was an experiment. It was a one-time 40-minute talk to a private group so maybe there were 50 people on that call, 40 people on that call, maybe. And the feedback there was so overwhelmingly positive, especially about the private, uh, the, the personal details in there. You know, everybody's saying, wow, I could totally relate to that. You know, when I turned 35, my story starts in the book when I turned 35, right? Mm-hmm. Like when I turned 35, I, I had very similar concerns. I didn't talk to anybody about it. And so that really helps. Tweeting about this stuff, writing about this stuff well in advance, right? Is, is the low risk experiment, like worst case scenario, you tweet something, worst, absolute worst 
worst case scenario, you get hate back for a tweet, mm-hmm. right? In which case you can, uh, you can learn something, I hope, and maybe you delete it. Maybe you try to figure out why you're getting hate for that tweet, right? But you know, in, in more cases than not, you'll get no response if it doesn't resonate. Okay, like literally nothing happened, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, like, so quite, li- yeah. <laughs> quite literally, a tweet happened, <laughs> like, you know, right? Like I'm, I'm not a Kardashian, like, you know, like, uh, right? Like nobody cares, like really, like if I tweeted something and it was like, like whatever. And so I think you've, you've got to, the more you do that, the more comfortable you get with it. Now look, it's never easy. And, and despite all of that, mm-hmm. on the the morning that Forever Employable went live, which was June 16th of this year, I was still terrified. You know, I was like, oh man, it's going live. There's all yeah. these pre-orders. People are going to get it. They're going to read it. It's going to suck. But it's been, it's been overwhelmingly positive. I think it, that's one of the reasons I love the book. I'm still in the process of reading it. But what I read so far has resonated with me. And I, I think that's, like you said, because of this vulnerability or sharing personal story. And I do that. Like I'm, I'm about to write something or post something. <laughs> okay, let's trigger the what, saboteurs or the inner critics that they keep coming up and the voices and all that. And what's going to happen? And then I ask myself, like you said, what's the worst that could happen? You know, I learn something yeah. and I adjust, right? So, And that's the whole idea of being agile, uh, whether at a company, uh, organizational or personal level. So it's interesting because I guess it's intuitive. And as far as like, we know that we can sense and respond. We know that we need to, that we need to adjust, do experiments, companies or organizations. Most companies now or by now are um, aware of that stuff, right? But yeah. at the individual level, it's still hard. And I think that the, your book is is trying to make this, sharing this story can help others do the same. What else do you think is getting in the way of people just breaking out of their shell or trying to, to experiment with different things? Yeah, so I think, I think for a lot of folks, the number one blocker to doing the things that I talk about in Forever Employable is they don't feel their story is unique mm. or good enough or special that anybody would care about it. Um, and, and I think that that is, in my experience so far, in kind of the last sort of 10 months now of talking about this book in various different circumstances, that seems to be the number one theme. People, and really surprised me, by the way, talk about assumptions and learning things from the market, right? Mm. I always assume that, look, at the very least, if I asked anybody, I said, what would you, where would you plant your flag for your platform? They, they, at the very least, they'd, re- they'd resort to their job title, mm. you know, accounting for healthcare companies or something, yeah. whatever, right? But the overwhelming majority of folks say, I have no idea, no idea where to start with this whatsoever. Um, no idea kind of where to plant my flag. And I think that that's the, that's the biggest challenge. And, and so I've got a couple bits of advice here. First and foremost is this, you have your story. It's your unique story. No one else has that story. So despite looking out into the landscape of the internet and the world and feeling like everything's been written and everything's been said, and there's so much noise and there is a ton of noise out there. Let's be honest. Okay. Mm -hmm. No one has told your story. No one, right? Number one. So you've got that. That is a hundred percent yours because you've taken the steps to get to where you are today. You've overcome a specific set of challenges in a specific order to get where you are today. You come from a specific background that has shaped who you are and what you've done and what you've had to overcome and the, the wins and the losses and whatever else in your life. So first of all, no one's got that. So you can tell that number one. The second thing that's really important 
I think to remember here is that there are people who are always looking for validation that they're taking the right steps in their path. So even if just a little bit of your story overlaps with theirs, this validation, they're going to pay attention and say, wow, well, Salad did that. You know what? I did that too in my 20s. I have similar results. So it seems like he turned out okay. (laughs) So we're just going to keep going. We're going to keep going with that. Right. And and, and that's, to me, that's really fascinating. And there's one third thing I would say uh, for advice here is that for those folks who may actually say, okay, I've got something to tell, but like, I feel like I, because I've got 15 years of working experience, everything I have to put out there has to be like advanced level, expert level content. Mm. And again, I would, I would refute that by saying there's a tremendous market for 101 level content, for entry level content. Mm. There's always new people entering a profession. There's always new people coming in from a different perspective, similar to yours. So there's no need. I mean, you can, of course, right? You're going to say, look, I'm going to target experienced people in my field, but you don't have to. You can target entry level folks. And, and there's a tremendous amount of, of people who are coming into new fields and new professions on a daily basis. I think just that assurance about like everyone has a unique story and it doesn't have to be expert level stuff, you know, just the simplifying things. I mean, a lot of noise, like you said, out there tend to complicate things and make it more overwhelming. So the more, the more people can make things more clear, more simple to understand is, is still uh, very uh, much needed. Any other takeaways or something that you want to leave us with? I think, so first of all, um, I would like you to buy the book. Yes. <laughs> Number one, um, let, me, let me be a bit cheeky and just ask you to buy the book. Um, I will also say this. I'll say that if you do buy it and you do read it, I would be grateful for a review on Amazon because that's how I learn, right? So if we're talking about sensing and responding and continuous learning and improvement, I learn from your feedback. So a book purchase is, is a nice nice feedback from the market. Somebody thought that their money was worth enough to try this, which is great. Um, and then write a review and let me know what you thought and let the world know what you thought because that's that's it helps me and it helps everybody else. And again, that's how I get better, right? And so the takeaway here is that you're going to put your stuff out there and you you want people to respond to you. You want people to come back and reply to you because that's how you know whether you've had an impact or not. And if you haven't had an impact, then it's worth digging further to understand where you missed the mark with this audience and how you can adjust and iterate and try again in the future. So don't get discouraged. Just continue to run experiments and adapt, right? You know, sensing and responding. I really appreciate your time, Jeff. I know, you know, we have to uh, wrap up here, but really amazing story. I have the book and I've been really reading it and it's definitely resonating with me. So I um, appreciate the, the work that you're doing and, and putting this uh, story out there. So thank you very much for having me on the show. It's always a pleasure to chat with you and um, look forward to seeing you around the internet. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Thank you, Jeff. Hey, thank you for listening. I hope this conversation gave you something to think about or take action on. Remember, take action and get clarity. Then repeat.